0: Good morning and Happy New Year, almost. My name is Tim. I'm one of the elders, and every once in a while we get the uh, privilege of filling in and sharing the Word with you. This morning, we will continue in Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52. Uh, These last four weeks, we've been looking at the songs surrounding the birth narrative of Christ. Those songs sing that God is with us, He will be our Savior, and that He is truly God and truly human. The passage this morning, we look at Christ as a 12-year-old boy, which takes place probably about 18 years before Jesus' public ministry, and combined with the four songs we've been looking at, um, Luke here has a bit of a prologue of Jesus' early life. So we will look at Christ as a 12-year-old boy, but before we do that, please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that uh, you would fulfill your promise that when your word goes out, it will not return void. I pray that our hearts would be softened, that we would learn something of Christ this morning, that it would touch our hearts, change our minds and our hearts and our behavior towards you and others, and that you would be most glorified. In Christ. name we pray. Amen. All right, Luke 2. 41 through 52, hear God's word. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So here we have this story of Christ as a 12-year-old boy. And as I like to do, I like to ask questions of the text and the first question I would like to ask is, how do we get this story? How do we have it today? How is it recorded in the scriptures? And our answer, we see in verse 51. Mary, his mother, treasured up all these things in her heart. This is the second time this phrase is used in Luke, at least in English. The first time is in chapter 2, verse 19, in reference to the shepherds telling Mary and Joseph what they heard about the angels from Jesus, that Mary had treasured those things in her heart. The sense, I think, is that Mary kept or preserved or highly valued these events from Christ's life. So possibly Mary remembered this story from Jesus' childhood and she told it to people and it was passed down. Or perhaps Luke, who is the author of this gospel, he interviewed Mary. Maybe he pulled out his first century microphone and his first century camera Sat Mary down and asked, Tell me something about Jesus and his childhood, something that you remember. And for Mary, this event resonated with her, and she recounted it to Luke, and Luke wrote it down. At the opening of the Gospel of Luke, in chapter one, Luke writes, He compiles a narrative from eyewitnesses to write an orderly account. Luke does research, he interviews people, asks questions, records stories. He is a compiler using his own skills and research methods and his own style to record events from Jesus' life. And so we have this account here, Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. It is the only story of Jesus as a young boy that is recorded anywhere in the New Testament. And as a quick aside, you may have heard of some other ancient texts uh, recounting Christ as a young boy, Uh, certain lost gospels or Gnostic gospels. Don't believe them. Uh, They are written late, much later than the apostolic writings, and the character in those stories is nothing like Christ in in the Scriptures. And so we have here the only event um, from Christ's life as a young boy. Luke thought it important to include this story, but why? So let's read on and find out. If we move back up to verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, So we learned something about Mary and Joseph, that they were very pious, that they were very careful to observe God's laws, and they went up to Jerusalem from Nazareth. Um, For them, it was probably a difficult journey because they were poor. But despite this, Mary and Joseph obeyed God, kept his commandments, and attended the feast of the Passover each and every year. They bring Jesus along with them too. We don't know if this is his first time doing this or whether... Uh, Jesus went with Mary and Joseph each and every year. Some Jewish historians say it was the father's duty to take his son to the Passover a few years before the son reached age 13, so that the, the young child would have a better understanding of the Passover. And at age 13, according to Jewish custom, a boy became responsible for himself as it pertains to keeping the law of God. So some scholars say that is why Christ is with Mary and Joseph, so that he could learn more about the Passover. Now, the feast itself could go on for about seven or eight days. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus would go up from Nazareth, go into the city, do what they need to do, and then they would return home. Um, Just as a reminder, the Passover, what was it? It was a feast. It was a reminder of God passing over Houses that had sprinkled the blood of the lamb on their doorpost when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Those who had the blood on the doorposts, the angel of death, passed over them and did not kill the firstborn. It was a reminder of God's deliverance through sacrifice, and it was a foreshadow of Christ himself, the lamb of God that would deliver his people. So this feast was remembered by the Jewish people year after year. So his family is in Jerusalem for Passover. And let me give you a, a quick picture of what the city might feel and look like during Passover time. Though there were bleeding lambs everywhere, as we heard earlier, uh, I think Tim Coyle said, a quarter of a million lambs were being sacrificed, a quarter of a million lambs. There were people everywhere. The city's population would swell to hundreds of thousands of people, standing room only on the city streets, hustle and bustle everywhere. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph would be jostled by the throngs of people each and every step they took. So think of Dog Street on the 4th of July during fireworks, just a lot worse. Merchants would try to sell lambs to the traveling people. People would try to buy their lambs. Lambs were being killed, eaten, their blood sprinkled. Jesus, the Lamb of God himself, as a boy, he would see the sacrificial lambs being slaughtered. The people swelling the city and sacrificing their lambs had no clue that the Lamb of God was walking right among them as a little boy. These swells of people would come in and go out of Jerusalem into what are called caravans, or very, very large groups of people. So Mary and Joseph, they returned back to Nazareth after the feast, after the feast ended. And verse 43 says that Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it. So after a day's journey, his parents began to search for him. So here, here's kind of a timeline of, of events, according to the text here. They finish the feast of the Passover. Then they leave Jerusalem in the large caravan, Mary and Joseph. Some scholars say that the women and younger children would go in groups first, and then the men and older children would go in groups second, and they would fall behind the first group. So Jesus is he's 12, and he's actually kind of right in the middle of both groups. Um, He's right on the edge of becoming a man according to Jewish custom So it's reasonably possible for him to be in the first group with the women and the younger children Or in the last group with the men and the older children It was also common for children to travel separate from the parents because at this time these are communal communal groups So they all know each other and the kids can go off and be with people that they're familiar with and this was common practice so to Mary Jesus could have been with Joseph or someone else, and have been okay. To Joseph, Jesus could have been with Mary, or someone else, and it would have been okay. And Mary and Joseph, they go a day's journey away from the city, they would possibly leave in the morning, then they travel as far as they can until darkness, then they would stop. And most people do not travel at dark uh, at this time, so they would stop. So they stop. And Joseph would walk up to Mary and say, hello, Mary. And Mary would say, hello, Joseph. Then she would say, where is Jesus? And Joseph would say, well, he's with you. And Mary would say, no, I thought he was with you. And Joseph would probably say, well, he's probably with Cousin John. And not being with Cousin John and Mary scowling at Joseph, Joseph says, well, he's probably with the Smiths. And when they don't find him with the Smiths, that's when they begin to panic. So... I imagine Mary realized that you know they left Jesus somewhere and she probably acted out that scene from Home Alone when the lady's on the plane she starts freaking out so you know they're freaking out and we know that because later they said they are in great distress and so they're not knowing where he is they don't find him they decide to go back along the route and hopefully perhaps they find him with someone else in the group and if they don't they go back to the city and on the third day they find him in the temple So they travel one day out of the city, it's dark. The next morning they travel back into the city, probably reach the city by darkness. And on the third day, they look around and they find Jesus in the temple. Um, Some people say that Mary and Joseph were neglecting Jesus. But as I shared before, it was common for uh, children to travel, not with their parents, but in communal groups. And as soon as they realized they weren't with them, they immediately went back and tried to find him. Some people also ask, is this a case of Jesus being disobedient? Well, we know that Jesus did not sin according to Hebrews 4.15. So if he were were disobedient, Jesus would have violated the fifth commandment, and we're all in a world of hurt because he didn't pay for our sins. Um, If he wasn't being disobedient, why did Jesus stay behind? In verse 43, the word stayed there. The verb appears to be active on Jesus' part. He actively stayed behind of his own accord. He wasn't scrambling because he got separated from his parents, and he wasn't disobedient. So why did he stay behind? So Mary and Joseph, they find Jesus sitting in the temple. The feast has ended, so the hordes of people probably would have died down by now, but I have no idea how they found him. However they did, it was in at least a part of the temple that Mary was allowed to go in. In verse 46, says, Jesus is sitting among the teachers, listening and asking questions. In verse 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. So in those days, you'd have the feast of the Passover. Then the people would leave. But if you wanted to stick around and talk to the teachers, you were able to do so. The teachers here are probably the leading theologians of the day. Some of them may have come in from out of town because of Passover, and now people have an opportunity to talk with these theologians that they would not normally have. And so perhaps that was, what is Jesus is doing. Um, but he's also, he's also asking questions of the teachers. And for me, two questions come to mind. The first is, what sort of questions is Jesus asking? And the second, why would Jesus, who is God, need to ask questions? The first question, what sort of questions is Jesus asking? Perhaps he's asking questions about the significance of the Passover. What does this mean? What does that mean? Is Jesus seeing the thousands of lambs being slaughtered before his eyes, the blood being sprinkled, and asking questions about the Lamb of God? John MacArthur says this, Jesus would have wanted to know how the teachers viewed the Old Testament. He would have wanted to know how they viewed the prophecies regarding Messiah how they viewed the sacrificial system, how they viewed the law of God. So he's asking questions. We go from verse 46 to verse 47. Jesus asking questions to giving answers. And so here we have a Jewish method of teaching and learning, and how it worked in the system went like this. So you have a student and a rabbi. The student would ask a rabbi a question, and often the rabbi would answer the student with a question. Then the student would have to provide an answer, which would show the rabbi how well the student is comprehending a subject. So Jesus would ask a question, the rabbi would answer with a question, and then Jesus would give an answer. And his answers were amazing, the rabbi's. So Jesus being 12, he is almost or around the age of our communicant kids. So imagine for a second, the kids in our church stumping us parents. Imagine these same kids knocking the socks off of say, R.C. Sproul, or how about making John Calvin speechless? That is the sense I get here of Jesus responding as a 12 year old to the leading theologians of the day. He's extremely wowing the teachers. And so that's the first question. What sort of questions is he asking? The second question, why would the Son of God have to ask questions? Well, Jesus is truly God and he's also truly human. We must remember that he came to this earth as a child, as a baby, as an infant. He was born from a woman, he grew up, he ate, he slept. He walked. He got hungry. He got tired. He got thirsty. He was truly human, and so he, so he had to learn. Jesus in this passage is learning as a student. He's learning and growing. And Luke, I think, is building upon those four song passages we've looked at, showing us how Jesus grows physically, but also grows in understanding. So Luke, throughout his gospel, he actually traces Jesus' growth of understanding throughout his gospel and Jesus' visits to the temple. Luke's gospel has three accounts of Jesus visiting the temple. The first one we've heard about last week, when Jesus was brought to the temple by his parents, he was offered as an infant. He was brought before the temple while he is a helpless baby. One scholar puts it like this. At the temple at this time, Jesus as a baby, was the Word, capital W, the Logos, the Word without a word. The eternal Word who could not utter a single word. That's his first visit. The second visit, here Luke records that the temple is here, when Jesus is 12, and he's asking questions and giving answers. The fact that he's asking questions means he doesn't know everything. He is learning. The Son of God had to learn luke is at pains to show that jesus is truly human and truly learning the infant who couldn't speak is now able to form questions but also give answers jesus had a human mind Um, so often i think sometimes we implicitly assume that jesus had some sort of hybrid mind thing going on we say things like he's god of course he knows Um, But we forget, in order to be truly human, he must have had a truly human mind. Which means, according to his humanity, he doesn't know all things, he has to learn things. The early church knew this. Responding to a heresy in the 4th century that said that Jesus did not have a human mind, the theologian Gregory of Naziasis says this, Have you placed your hope in a Jesus who was a human being but lacking a human mind? then you yourself are truly mindless. If Jesus doesn't have a true human mind, then he's not truly human, he's not like us in all ways accepting sin, and therefore he cannot be our substitute. So Jesus is learning. He's now in an age where he can actually begin to process things and start to ask questions, but is even providing answers. He's still asking questions, but he's speaking unlike the baby, the infant child of the first account, Jesus in the temple Jesus is learning and has learned The third time Jesus shows up at the temple is in Luke chapter 19 verses 45 through 48 Jesus you know this story Jesus cleanses the temple and then after that the text says he starts teaching daily All the people were hanging on his words Jesus is now speaking with authority he is no longer the student he is the teacher The three visits in the temple show how Jesus grew from one who could not speak to one who is now teaching with authority. Just like we all have to grow up and learn things, so did Jesus. But even as a 12-year-old boy, the answers Jesus is giving to the teachers, and perhaps the questions he is asking, is astonishing everyone. The sense here is the people are beside themselves in amazement or struck out of their senses. Even at age 12, Jesus has an amazing understanding of the things of God and even of himself, even though he is still learning. Now in verse 48, Mary asked Jesus, why did you stay behind and cause us such stress? And so Jesus' answer to her is a bit shocking. He answers Mary's question with his own question. Verse 49, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or some translations put it, Did you not know I must be about my father's business? I think no matter which translation you use, Jesus is basically saying the same thing, but his words have double meaning. Like, yes, mom, I've been at the temple. Where else would I be? And in my father's house, I think, could also be taken as I'm doing the father's will. Earlier, I had posed the question, why did Jesus stay behind? And here's the answer, because Jesus is doing the father's will. His answer is shocking, because no one would have ever called the temple my father's house. Jesus answers my father, not our father, and he's talking about the father in heaven. He's not talking about Joseph. So clearly at age 12, Jesus knows who he is in relation to God the father. And so Jesus is reminding Mary of who he is. He is God's son. He is also saying, Mom, don't you know what I must do? I need to do what my Father in heaven wants me to do. At 12 years old, Jesus knows who he is, what he is supposed to do, although he is still learning things. And this is the main point of this passage. And we get the answer to why Luke recorded this account. Everything Luke writes about is centered around Jesus' answer. Everything that Luke records Jesus doing is centered around this answer. This is the launching point for Luke's gospel. Jesus is doing his Father's will. So we need to remind ourselves, what was Jesus sent to do? What is the Father's business he is to be about? What is the Father's will he's supposed to do? And then we get a very simple answer in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons. The Father chose people for salvation. The Son, the second person of the Trinity, he took on human flesh. And he purchased those people. And the Spirit now applies that salvation to us. Jesus, the God-man, came to save sinners. Jesus, who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, is truly god jesus who was a baby and who was also a 12 year old student is truly human truly god truly human the infinite being of infinite worth became a human and submitted himself under the law to save you even in this passage here we see in luke we see jesus submitting himself to god's laws he loves the lord with all of his mind by being a student In verse 51, we also see he obeys the fifth commandment by submitting to Mary and Joseph and going home with them. This is the boy who is probably outthinking the leading theologians of the day who could be puffed up with pride, and when his mom says it's time to come home, he says, yes, mom. He gets up, goes home with them, realizing and understanding that his time of ministry and of going to the cross is not quite yet. He's still submissive to his earthly parents, and so in all respects, Jesus obeys the law And here he honors his mother and father, and here we get a tiny glimpse of how Jesus obeys the law. Because of Jesus obeying the law at every tiny point, because of him being the obedient son, because of Jesus living under the law, as Galatians 4 says, we now have a relationship with our heavenly Father. And doing the Father's will, as seen in this passage, is contrary to Mary's will. And so Mary and Joseph also have to be reminded that ultimately Jesus is about the Father's business, not theirs. In fact, look in verse 50, Mary and Joseph don't quite get it. They don't understand Jesus' answer. One commentary says, though Mary and Joseph were not wholly unacquainted with Christ's heavenly origin, yet they did not comprehend, for his calling had not been expressly revealed to them. Mary and Joseph had the same reaction that all the disciples had. They don't get it. No one gets it until after Jesus rises again from the dead. Mary and Joseph knew that Jesus was God. They were to take care of him for a time, but they are a bit confused of how he answers. Like a good teacher, Jesus always answers answers with a question because the question always makes you think. And Mary thought hard about this event because she remembered it, and Luke Recorded it for us. She treasured it up in her heart The passage ends in verse 52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and in favor with God and man This passage is um, It's flanked on each side by pretty much the same phrase verse 52 Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man and if you go back up to verse 40 The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So the the passage is sandwiched basically by the same two phrases. And what these verses are saying is that Jesus, he grew up physically. The people became pleased with him and that God the Father was pleased with him. Luke records as much in chapter 3, verse 22, when God the Father from heaven says that he is pleased with Jesus. So I think that Luke flanking Verse 40 and verse 52 on each side of this passage is Luke showing us that the events at the beginning of his gospel and these events in this passage, they are all connected. And that Luke is showing us that Jesus is growing from a baby to a 12-year-old boy. Then he ends the the passage there that Jesus grew up. And then there's an 18-year pause from where Luke begins to uh, recount Jesus as a 30-year-old doing his public ministry. The four songs we heard about during Advent, about how Jesus is God the Savior, Jesus is God with us, and Jesus the infant, leads right into the story of Jesus, the 12-year-old boy, which begins to show us how Jesus fulfills those songs. Or in other words, all these songs and stories are building on each other to show how Jesus was about the Father's business, that Jesus was about the will of the Father to save sinners. And Luke records all of it so that we can be certain that Jesus did do the will of the Father, as Luke says in chapter 1, verse 4, he writes his gospel so that you may have certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. So this account of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy gives us certainty that Jesus, even as a 12-year-old boy, is fulfilling the law perfectly to save sinners. So I wanna suggest three ways we can respond to the passage and then I'll be done. First way, know that the Father's business is done and rest. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, hear this story, that Jesus was about the Father's will to save sinners. Jesus was saving sinners, not anyone else. It is God alone who saves. Christ has finished the work of paying the penalty to save sinners. There's nothing you can do to save yourself, nothing you can do to add to salvation that Christ freely offers. It is all of grace alone by faith alone. So turn away from your sin, repent, and turn to Jesus. Trust and have faith in him and his work for your salvation. If you do know Jesus, rest. The work of bringing you into a relationship with God is done. You did not earn it, and you cannot unearn it. Don't try to gain God's approval. You already have it. If you sin and feel like God doesn't love you, turn to him and remember he always and already does love you. Don't try to do Jesus' work that he has already done and finished. The work he did is given to you, so chill out and rest. The second way we can respond is you, all of us, be about the Father's business, because we have been saved Now we should be about the Father's business, not to earn your salvation. You already have it. And so what does that mean? It means to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, or to put it another way, obey his commandments, or to put it another way, worship God, or to put it another way, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what are some ways we can be about the Father's business? We can pray. We can serve others we can sing we can equip we can do what god has called us to do and more specifically we get an example from this text just like jesus did we can learn and grow in understanding we can use our mind for the glory of god so i just want to give quick examples of some ways we can learn so i'm going to break this down by age group for our children who are sunday school age ask your parents a billion questions grab their pant leg, and say, Mom, did Jesus really eat fish and take naps? Ask your Sunday school teachers questions. Remember your catechism questions. And then we've got a whole bunch of books in the library for children's age that your parents can check out and read. For our older children, including our communicant age kids who are about the age that Jesus is in this passage, do like Jesus did. Sit among some teachers like your parents and ask more questions. But more importantly, listen. Listen. Find someone to disciple you. Try to start piecing the scriptures together, like how does the Passover meal that Mary and Joseph went to in this passage fit together with the story of Jesus? And why does that matter when I go to school or I play my sports? And to adults of all ages, also ask questions. Ask questions of people who are wiser than you in the faith. Ask questions of the scriptures while you're reading them. Find someone to disciple, or better yet, disciple someone else. You will be amazed at how much you learn when you have to teach it. A resources that we have here at this church for elders, deacons, staff, ministry leaders, books, and dare I say it, read a systematic theology. Um, they are not textbooks. They're really devotionals because they have scripture on every single page. So don't be scared that they're so big. Um, We have tons of resources you can avail yourself of and take part in that. Be like Christ and uh, use your mind to the glory of God. No matter your age and your learning, pray and ask God for wisdom like Solomon did. How do I take these things and apply them to my life? And do all these things not for mere learning, but to worship God and glorify him. That is the point of learning, to know God, to become like him and worship him. And finally, I want to end where the passage began, where I began the passage. The third way we can respond is, be like Mary and treasure these things. Highly value Jesus and the work of Jesus in your life. Hide it in your heart. Protect it. Value it. Value it so much that you pass the message of Jesus along for the future. Count it as the greatest thing in your entire life greater than your life's circumstances. Count it so important that if everything around you fails, your house, your job, your country, your health, you can say, but Jesus lived and died for me, and God loves me, and that is enough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this account that you have recorded for us of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy being about your work of saving sinners like us. You did, you did it all, Jesus. You lived, died, and rose. Now your spirit lives in us. Lord, I pray that this message would touch our hearts. If people don't know you, that they would receive it willingly, turn to you, and repent. I pray if, we do, if, they, if people do know you already, that they would be strengthened and encouraged and remember that you were truly human, that you became our substitute in all things except sin. You paid the penalty, and now we look to you to restore all things. We look forward to that day that is coming soon when you come back and we will be with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word that you've given us and be with us as we depart from here. In Christ's name we pray, amen.